thank you and good afternoon. Thank you so much for a few minutes to make <clears throat> a statement today. I ran for re-election because I still believe that more than anything else, Alaska deserves integrity, honesty, and courage. Alaska first is and cannot be just a campaign slogan. When I said I ran for governor to do the job, not make decisions to keep the job, I meant that. Every decision I made as your governor, I have made on the basis of what I believe is best for Alaska. With that said, effective today, I am suspending my campaign for the re-election as governor. I don't know about you. I was floored when I heard Alaska's first independent governor, Bill Walker, get up on stage at the Alaska Federation of Natives conference in Anchorage last week and announced that he was suspending his campaign for re-election. And I was tipped off. <laughs> I had an excuse not to be shocked, but I was. Everyone knew something had to happen. His lieutenant governor, Byron Malott, uh, Walker had asked for Byron Malott's resignation a couple days before that, after he had made some alleged remarks that were bad enough to force Walker's hand. And we don't know what was said. We may never. Who knows? There are a lot of rumors that you shouldn't listen to, and there is another party involved, which means we have to... You and me both, public and media, uh, need to respect their privacy. Uh, what we do know it was it was enough in a Trump era where you can say all sorts of horrible things that are usually bleeped and still uh, face no consequence. It was bad enough where Malott, according to Walker, had to leave the ticket three weeks before the election, after ballots had been printed with both their names on it after 3,000 of those ballots had been returned. I took in the moment and all I could think of was I gotta get Hollis French on the phone right now. I, you know Hollis French. He's a longtime state senator, first elected in 2003, served until 2015, where he retired as the minority leader. He currently serves on the Oil and Gas Commission in the Walker administration. He ran for governor in 2010 and again in 2014 on the Democratic ticket. In 2014, of course, he then switched to lieutenant governor, presumably to then go on and run with Byron Malott. But Byron Malott and Bill Walker merged tickets and he was bounced off the ballot. So he has a more than unique if that well that's not a thing but uh, i'm gonna use it it's a more than unique perspective on the situation unfolding before our eyes now two weeks ahead of an election and the presumptive front runner according to all the polls is former state senator mike dunleavy from a uh, republican from the matsu valley up until friday we had incumbent bill walker now gone so now we have Dunleavy and former U.S. Senator Mark Beggett, who is running as a Democrat. So I asked him to come on and, and share his views on where, where the hell are we and where are we going. Here is my conversation with 
Paul is French. Uh, so we just had this amazing thing happen at AFN uh, last week where... Were you in the room when that happened? I wasn't. I had. I was credentialed. I was planning on be uh, there. And then I got food poisoning two oh, days before. Oh, huh? I was right. literally lying on this floor right here. Um, Listening or watching. Watching the right. live stream. Right. And uh, I had gotten tipped off earlier in that day. that, that Several of us felt like something was coming. And, and honestly, I, th- I had that inclination... Uh, I think it was the day before, either the day before or two days before, when Did you, he was making when his morning address. Right. And what was your impression of his speech? He came out and, and he said, look, I need to say something because we've, you know, some things have happened over the past few days. Of course, referencing Byron Malott. Um, resignation, departure, whatever you want to call resignation it. Resignation right? in a cloud of kind of... Questions. Yeah. I thought Michael Carey's piece was was good today. Well, maybe we'll talk about it later. It. I, yeah. yeah. Um, basically, for anyone who is still under the rock. Uh, Byron Malott made some comments to someone. Some female. Uh, and they were bad enough. Such under, that, in Trump's right, America, well, bad yeah. enough where uh, Walker felt it was enough to... to um, Ask for his departure. He resigned. I mean, there's, there's no... You, you can't fire the lieutenant governor. Right. <laughs> I, mean, he just, I mean, he can fire all his, his um, and, uh, commissioners. He can't fire me. I've got an independent job. But uh, yeah, you can't fire the lieutenant governor. And that's governor. on the oil and gas commission. Oil and gas commission, right. But I mean, he apparently you know said to Byron, or Byron said to him, you know, whatever that was, you know, I'm leaving. I'm gone. And a lot of tears, uh, you know, you can, you can tell Shocking for was, AFN. Shocking for But there was that two. minute when he got up during that address and he said, I have a thing to say. And... I was sitting that there like, been the moment. is this it? But I hadn't been tipped off at that point, so I had that false confidence, I guess is the best way you could put that. But then he did the astounding thing, and from his seat as governor of Alaska, he apologized to the Alaska the Native end. community. Very, yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, neither did I. I, th- I think it was, I mean, it was obviously, I talked to a lot of people who were in the room and were floored. Who, right. I mean, that's something right. that's... Right. Governors historically don't say, right. especially not when they're running for re-election. I apologize. Yeah. It doesn't come to the mouths of most leaders, and certainly, yeah, yeah. What was your take on it? You know, my my single takeaway was that he was saying goodbye, <laughs> and you know, he, he talked about the he pot was, latches, he and he talked coming. about the right, he talked about going to to. Uh, Kaktovic and Ukiavik and Point Hope and the blanket tosses and the listening circles and I thought to myself this is a guy saying goodbye to the native community and to the state really and he hadn't quite gotten there yet Uh, and my instinct was you know uh, came, you know, I guess true in a sense the next day uh, when he, and it was obvious at that point when he and Val right. took the stage yeah. to say something special, you know, it could only be one thing and it was that one thing. And yet to be in the room and to hear people say, no, no, I mean the shock and the, and the sadness and yet, you know, in, in a way, how wonderful for Bill Walker yeah. to get that sort of live funeral moment the, the, right the entire room right the room tears. swell right the love the affection the speeches Except the for gifts the, the, the one this was a takeaway just because i live in anchorage and i've lived here for a long time uh the an unfortunate camera position on the um i think it was the the uh 360 uh uh, Gavel, Alaska oh, channel. Oh, huh. I um, didn't see it. Caught uh, former Mayor Dan Sullivan walking out of the room oh. during the Ooh. thank you speeches, which was <laughs> uh, Yeah, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's on Dan. He can explain that when he gets his chance about why suddenly he had someplace he had to be. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and, and I also, uh, one of the thoughts that I left with was what must have been running through uh, former State Senator Mike Dunleavy's 
mind at that point. I had that said hello to him in a polite way as he was coming in, and he was, you know, it was anyway. He's he's uh, you know, he was not in his milieu right <laughs> to start with, and you know to suddenly have the world sort of shift against him, and you know to have. Bill say, I'm backing Mark Bagich. I mean, it wasn't a full-throated scream endorsement. On the other hand, it was all he needed to do. I mean, it was clear. Uh, and, and to call out Mike Dunleavy and to say by name, we cannot have this guy be governor, uh, that's tough. That's a tough sort of thing to absorb in a room full of people that aren't particularly friendly to your uh, mode of politics. Uh, yeah, he had a, he had a bad day, I'd say. Yeah. And then to have to go up and do the forum after all, right? That. And and the energy in the room just went out. I mean, yeah. all the love that was poured on uh, Bill Walker and his wife and the cabinet and so forth, and all those, you know, and all and all the attendant sort of uh, heart uh, string pulling that had to happen. You know, just I, I left. I, I had no interest in that. Of course, I know I knew where I, I knew where I was in, yeah, the, in yeah. the race anyway. It's like I don't events. need any information. I'm good to go. I know what I'm going to do uh, when it comes to voting. Uh, but yeah, it just it had to be weird to sort of sit there, wait through the Elise Galvin and Don Young mm-hmm. uh, debate, and then finally get to your the moment. Awkward hand throttling moment. You know, I saw debate. that on yeah. Facebook. It did. You know, bad on you, Don yeah. Young. I mean, really. You know, I mean, I know I know you're unhappy, but you know, tough. When you have a track record, maybe maybe make a conscious effort to avoid those. Moments. Right. <laughs> hey. Try niceness. It's never too late. It's never too late. So how, I mean, obviously I know that you know Mark Begich through your positions in elected office. Mm. How did you meet him? How, 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 where does that story trace back to? That's an interesting question because, you know, I've told people, you know, he and I aren't like buddies, Mm. right? We don't go hang out. We don't get burgers together. We don't, you know, go to dinner together. Uh, But I, I'd say he most uh, specifically came to my consciousness right after I got elected, which was in 2002. Mm. And that was the year that Fran Ulmer ran and lost against Frank Murkowski. And that was dark for Mm. a lot of people. I mean, that was like, this is the end of the world. Our greatest intelligent, ladylike, uh, you know, uh, worldly hope just got crushed by this oaf from (laughs) Washington. And, you know, it was just awful. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that next spring in 03 was when Mark won this, he'd already run for a mayor twice Mm -hmm. and lost. And, you know, they moved the, they moved the hurdle rate down to 45%, the the assembly did. And then he squeaked through a three-way race and became mayor by 17 votes. Mm -hmm. So boom, you know, Mark Biggins is like, now there's a place to put your democratic hopes. And so he started coming to Juneau, of course. And I remember leaving a meeting with Mark Bagich probably somewhere in that era thinking, I can't even believe I'm in the same business as this guy because he has got a mastery of detail that has never been my strength. I'm good on policy. I can remember a lot of stuff, uh, but he was down to like the nuts and bolts on what holds the streetlights together that, you know, help defeat crime in neighborhoods because you've got streetlights that are working. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was that detailed. And I just thought this guy has got something going for him. And, you know, he um, has stayed, in my view, true to his nature. He was a good mayor, uh, did a lot of good stuff, the Niner Center, you know, a, a sense of positivity, a sense of getting things done. And then, you know, he jumps in the race against Ted Stevens and, you know, miracle number two, you know, but I mean, it wasn't even his miracle. That was Ted Stevens. Ted Stevens asked for a quick trial. Mm-hmm. I bet you if he had to do over again, he wouldn't have done that. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't mean to say it that way, but. Well, and a lot of 
poor work by the FBI. Uh, oh, you know, you but, know. I mean, but, but even to this day, people don't like Mark Bagich because of what the Department of Justice we're, did to him, although they blame Barack Obama. We are, we are stop, gonna, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get into the mythos. Stop, of ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Please stop for a minute. Okay, it was the Bush White House, mm-hmm. the Bush Department of Justice that indicted Ted Stevens. If and you're unhappy with, with Ted Stevens getting indicted, don't blame Barack Obama. And Al- Alberto Gonzalez got a lot of flack for, for his position. In that. You know, um, and they botched that. And, you know, I'm a prosecutor and, you know, I'm all for, you know, upholding the rule of law, but, you know, they broke the rules. Mm-hmm. When you have evidence that tends to show that you may not commit that crime, push it over to the other side of the table. Deal with it. Let them have it. And then go to trial. So, um, you know, but, you know, Mar- Mar- you know, miracle number two, Mark Begich goes to Washington, gets six years in office, uh, defeated by a guy who I don't think has the same uh, ability that Mark has. And so now he's back on his heels, thinking about what he's going to do. And he sees daylight in a potential three-way race. It was, frankly, the same daylight I saw back in 2014 when, actually, it was 2013. I was driving on a highway in Colorado, and I heard Bill Walker's going to get into the race uh, for governor as an independent. I thought, bing, that's how you win. That's how you win. You win with two Republicans and one Democrat in the race. (laughs) And, you know, what happened in the ensuing four years was that Bill sort of moved to the middle, Mm -hmm. brought Byron Malott with him, put a lot of Democrats in commissionerships, Leslie Riedel, me, Val Davidson, you know, many others. And at some level, I think, and this surprised Mark, was the degree to which the center and the left had made their peace with Bill Walker and decided he was good enough and why change horses and why upset the apple cart. And so the headwinds that Mark was facing early in the race were were quite substantial and I think surprising. Speaking of that coalition that that brought Bill Walker to the governorship in 2014, it was a tenuous coalition, uh, which obviously broke down. Um, There was a lot of obvious concerns in the... LGBTQ community, given that, you know, Walker. He was not, not a he was not a moderate governor. Yeah, I'm not a moderate it, Republican. Right. Uh, you know, in his earlier incarnations, he was kind of a right wing Republican. Ran the uh, uh, parental notification uh, ballot initiative out of his campaign office. As as the Cherokee Judiciary Committee, I helped kill the bill <laughs> yes. that they reacted to yeah. that passed. You know that, that that Bill Walker, you know, a mile from my house is doing a fundraiser in his. You know, while I'm killing it, he's starting to do fundraisers to pass it, and they won that battle, but it wasn't easy. How would you grade Walker's performance in his? first and now only term i mean how i hear the objections from uh the center right which is that number one he's a democrat which this is a pet peeve of mine um yeah false he's just not uh he's he's not an ideology not ideologically speaking like obviously he drifted more towards the the center uh which is going to happen if number one you have a democrat uh you know on your ticket who becomes your best friend and you are spending time together also, it's going to happen when uh, only the House Majority Coalition, which is mainly Democratic, uh, when they're the only party and they're the only coalition working with you. Mm-hmm. I think he faced severe intransigence uh, from the Senate Majority. Um, and uh, that was part. I mean, part, part of the problem, I think, was in, in, and I'm almost imagining Bill Walker here in the room. I just saw him at the, the Barney Gossi Memorial. And so I guess I'm going to try to phrase this in a way that I would say right to his face as if, if he was sitting in your chair. Mm-hmm. It took him a long time to figure out who elected him. Mm-hmm. It, in my view, it took him a long time to figure out that a bunch of hardcore Democrats had gone to the polls and put their trust in him. And when he went down to Juno, he it seemed to me like he was still trying to get Anna McKinnon and Pete Kelly to go along with his ideas. And ladies and gentlemen, they, they were not going to go along with his ideas. They never did go along with his ideas. And he finally figured out that his friends, so to speak, 
was the House Coalition, where he could get a hearing, where he could get you know some traction, where he could get some backing up. And you know, it wasn't almost until the last year of his governorship, I think, that he really figured out that uh, the Senate was just going to keep pulling the rug out from underneath his feet, and the House was going to back him up and help him with his fiscal plans and, and other ideas. And the coalition that got him there and that, that was his backbone during backbone, no pun intended with the <laughs> right. Alaska yeah. backbone. Um, but it also kind of, I think, was a big chunk of his undoing. I mean, the coalition that supported him really broke apart when Mark Begich entered the race. Uh, obviously, SB 91, the criminal omnibus criminal uh, justice reform bill was whether that's it's, the cause it's, it's of the a boogeyman w- w- whether it is or not it doesn't matter people have decided that right. there is in fact a crime wave in the state and that it needs in fact to be addressed and it's hard to hand that responsibility back to the same person who's had the reins of power for the last four years mm-hmm. so so that that was enormous ding and you know frankly grabbing the dividend you know um it's it, you know whether you agree with it or disagree with it there's a political price to pay to reaching into the pockets of thousands of alaskans and taking money out and so he, he was in a tough spot i suppose if everybody had stayed behind him and pledged their loyalty to him and all you know all, everybody out to the left end of the spectrum had s- said you know we'll keep trying it maybe he's got a chance but you know in a weird way, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll, I'll just say this. People have been praying for several months for something to resolve this problem, and their prayers in a very weird way were answered. Okay? <laughs> I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Well, in, with the PFD in particular, I mean, SB91 is its own thing, and, and I use the term boogeyman because of the, the context in which it's used against Walker. Uh, obviously, this is a bill that you know we need to bolster uh, sharing of information with other states for background checks. And, you know, there, there are obvious Treatment things. rather than incarceration for right, drug crimes. Right. R- li- right. But it's used as, uh, or has been used by both uh, Mike Dunleavy and the Super PAC supporting Dunleavy as a measure that was passed solely by Governor Walker that just opened the doors on all the prisons and let everybody run rampant, which, I mean, this is a bill that was fought over for... Uh, oh, it was a, a long time coming. It was so. a long time coming, right? I mean, John Yellis, right? And John Coghill, and I had my role in that. Course. We were definitely aware of the fact that we were, you know, you can't incarcerate your way out of society's problems. Um, you know, that's that's sort of one <clears throat> bedrock piece of that bill. Uh, how you deal with the violence that's inflicted on women, on children, uh, you know, in this state is a whole is a part of that mm-hmm. and i wasn't there when sb 91 was passed but i was certainly involved in in sort of getting us aimed in that direction uh but at the same time you know there has to be a ton of bricks that fall on the head of any human being who lifts his hand or you know or anything or a knife or anything else against a person in the state and so I, right, right now i think there's there's an opportunity to try to figure out how to, to try to pull those apart say we are going to continue to try to treat drug addicts mm-hmm. okay and we're going to try to punish them when they start stealing cars and breaking into cars but that's one thing the other thing is how do we actually get a hold of this sex assault problem in the state? How do we get our arms wrapped around it? And, you know, in some jest, uh, I used to say, not jest, but sort of like, you know, trying something different. I used to say, if I was governor, I would send Byron Malat to Bethel. (laughs) 
And I would say, you're not coming back from Bethel until they go 30 days without a sex assault. I don't care what, I don't care if you all impound drums, chant, walk around in circles, assign, you know, a human, you know, a human, you know, sober adult to every house, something, but something's got to stop because that is completely unacceptable. No person in the state believes that's a good idea. And yet for some reason we continue to be inflicted by this, you know, these, these horrible, uh, horrible crimes. Do you think there is underrepresentation uh, of Alaska Natives within the Department of Corrections? Because this is a complaint I've heard a lot. Under or over? Sorry. Uh, underrepresentation. In term, not in terms of those incarcerated. In terms of people working within the oh, Department of Corrections. Oh, like, like who, oh, I, I wouldn't even know the first place to begin uh, answering that question. Okay. I have no idea. Yeah, okay. very interesting question. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's something I've heard a lot, and I, mm-hmm. I don't have the answers to, mm-hmm. so I thought I'd try. Mm-hmm. On the PFD uh, issue... Um, You've worked under a lot of governors, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, mostly Walker. hostiles. Yeah, Walker, <laughs> uh, Sean Mur- Parnell, Mur- right. Sarah Palin, right. Right. W- you uh, came Parnell. Mur- uh, no, uh, Murkowski. Murkowski, right? Yeah. Uh, I know this is speculation, mm. but under any of those governors, you know, none of them had to deal with the fiscal crisis. That right, Walker the rubber never met the road. In. Right until uh, you know, Sarah Palin was no- notorious for the giant rebate. The energy rebate yeah, that she gave us. <laughs> Um, in that situation, if, if all of those governors had found themselves in that situation or any governors in the future find themselves in that situation where uh, the majority of the Senate obviously was absolutely opposed to even discussion of new revenues, which obviously means taxes. But see, this is, I mean, just before we finish, because sure. this is a thought I've had several times yeah. about this. This is another area where I think the governor could have done a better job in brinksmanship and using the bully pulpit of the governor's office. You've seen that beautiful conference table on the third floor of the, mm-hmm. of, of, uh, the Juno Capitol. You know, I think the governor should have gone to that conference table with a thermos of coffee and a deck of cards and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit here and play solitaire. Uh, for the next 24 hours until Pete Kelly brings me a budget that does one of two things, pays for his spending or reduces itself to our income. Pete, I'm waiting, and you start playing solitaire. And sooner or later, people turn to Pete and go, really, what is so messed up about paying for the spending? I mean, you guys are spending way more than you're taking in. How can you do that? you got to balance the budget. Do something, Pete. Do it. Own it. Own it, man. Mm. Either cut the freaking budget down to where you think it should be cut and produce that budget or pay for it. And I mean pay for it, not grabbing savings. And, and I just think that that may have provoked the uh, debate a few years earlier so that you didn't have to come in and just grab a huge chunk of the dividend. Because there is no defensible universe in which I, okay, pay the same amount to support the state as the third graders do in this local school. Okay, that's wrong. That's morally messed up. And I think that's, I mean, that's partly what motivates Bill Wolikowski and me and others to say the dividend last. I unearthed a um, um, document I found from 2004 when I was uh, running for the state Senate in which I went to meet with Jay Hammond Mm -hmm. at uh, Cafe Del Mundo. And the thing is, the title, the title was how to get Jay's endorsement, you know, (laughs) and and I wish I brought it with me because it's a really cool thing to look at. But the, you know, the, the, the punchline is dividend last Mm -hmm. after you've adjusted oil taxes, after you've done other things, after you've done other things, finally, when you're left with no other resort, fair enough. Grab some dividend. And, you know, this governor was sort of jammed into a position in which it was easiest and sort of the only way was to grab the dividend. And, I, I you know, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to credit that. But if, if, if everything I've read on Jay Hammond is true, I mean, I, I get the sense that he would be the person who walks into that conference room and throws the table over. Uh, you know, I mean, he was very, he was... He was very determined in, in terms of the sustainability 
of the PFD, but he was also a realist in terms of don't don't screw fetishize this up. it. Yeah, you know, don't fetishize right, it. Don't right, screw it up. Right. Be honest about it. Right. Um, you know, let's not be capricious ten years from now, which is right. ultimately what's the situation we find ourselves uh, ourselves in. Whereas Walker is kind of the the absolute manifestation of that the, the axiom of someone who is a statesman but hasn't figured out how to be a politician yet uh where he he really was it's almost the obama effect of trying to you know um work with both sides to a fault where one is yeah. not being a good faith broker that that's and that's a fair analogy. That's a fair analogy. I think that's right. I think and I think the governor kept thinking, well, I'm going I'm just gonna be reasonable and reasonable and reasonable, and sooner or later the Senate's gonna say, well, well, here's a reasonable idea back, mm-hmm. and they just never did. You know, they figured out that if they just laid there and hunkered down, sooner or later the governor is gonna fall on him to be the adult in the room. Mm-hmm. You uh, state, I mean, and 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 that's what happened. So, um, yeah, I mean, you got to give him credit for sort of coping with the obvious. Uh, I still think he could have done a better job pounding the daylights out of the people standing in his way. Whereas I think Mark Begich, if we're getting into hypotheticals about that situation, I mean, he never has struck me as someone who backs away from a fight. I mean, he very adept, yeah, very yeah, I mean, that's, adept. That's he would he would have he would have played you know pulled the pulled the uh, solitaire trick or something yeah. like it, uh, where you know you just really he's skilled. I mean, he's, he kind of brings both skills at the table mm-hmm. he's good at policy and he's good at winning elections mm-hmm. and th- you know that makes them nervous <laughs> because he's going to make you pay for your mistakes which is you know the way it kind of probably should be um and yet you know it's it's he doesn't come from the center such that he gets a, the benefit of the doubt that walker got yeah and mike dunleavy on on the other hand and i think this is a tough lesson that walker learned where walker's uh, mentality is strategy going into things that again to the you know let's let the good ideas win out let's let support from the people let's try to convince the people let the people take it to their elected representatives and then the 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 right policy will win the day mike dunleavy is in my experience of the ilk where they turn that and they turn it into a campaign against the person uh, well in this case against walker uh you know walker was fighting for good policy dunleavy was uh fighting for whatever's going to end up on his campaign literature that goes on people's doors. He was looking for a target to redirect blame to. And that, that I mean, he's the fulfillment, really, of the Senate strategy, which is lay back, mm-hmm. wait till they have to do something, and then criticize that something, because that something is going to be de facto unpopular. Yeah. Okay, because it's not business as usual. It's not more money, it's less money. Yeah, so, I mean, he's an opportunist, um, which, you know, I mean, you got to get elected. But uh, it's going to be a it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens in the next two weeks to see whether enough momentum is now behind Mark for him to win or whether there's just not enough whether he's tainted by this or that and Walker's tainted by this or that and, and, and Dunleavy somehow squeaks in. So Mark Begich won by a couple hundred votes when he first came to the Anchorage Assembly, uh, lost his first attempt as you had mentioned uh, for mayor. Two, two times for mayor. Yes. You're yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Third try. Yep. One. One. Finally won in 2000, I think. Uh, was it two? Oh, two. No. Oh, oh, three. Yeah, yeah. Oh, three. Yep. Oh, um, three. Yep. And he won with, I think, 17 four. votes. Yeah. yeah. Right. It right. was really 45.01%. But aside from uh, one of his runs as mayor, he's never won with over 50% of the votes. <laughs> uh, that includes, you know, obviously in 2008 against Ted Stevens, <laughs> where there was a kind of 
perfect storm. Unique. I mean, yeah. I mean, seven felony convictions against your opponent in the yeah. week before the election. I mean, okay. people, people are talking about a blue wave this year, which I've never bought into, and I think that the, the reality is coming out with it, especially in Alaska. But, uh, but if you want to talk about a race-specific blue wave, that year all all signs pointed towards his being able to accomplish that feat, uh, and he did barely, which. I don't say barely to minimize it. We're talking about Ted freaking right, Stevens. Right, right, Alaskan of the century. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> that Ted Stevens. Ted his, Stevens his, International Airport his Stevens. His misgivings <laughs> about how the internet works aside, I mean, this guy is the... And, you know, he'd, he'd done his job. I mean, he had, he had taken, you know, a state that looks like Appalachia mm-hmm. and brought, you know, billions of dollars here to try to bring us up to the 20th century. It's It's very interesting when I'll have conversations with friends of mine in the lower 48 uh and they'll bring up ted stevens when we talk politics and i will have to tear into them just stop for just a minute about honey buckets stop for just a minute about diesel you know in rusty tanks spilling in the rivers just hold on for a second you know and and understand a little bit about where i live Mm -hmm. right right but so begich wins that race one-term senator makes the the controversial vote on the affordable care act uh also um, on the other side of that is is kind of seen as the blue dog co- coalition, um, you know, the more moderate. Trying to look Democrats. like trying to look like a little bit more like a Republican, you know, in a very sort of Republican state. Right. Uh, then in 2014, I think we saw a real changing of the guard in terms of how elections are won in Alaska. Uh, Mark Begich had campaign offices throughout the state. He was. Barn burning in terms of door knocking, getting people ground out game, there. Exa- yeah, door ground knock. game right, was right, right, unmatchable. Right. Uh, whereas now, our now junior senator bottom Dan up versus Sullivan, top down. Right. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm going to crush you with carpet bombing of money. Ads. You know, my wife and I watched wall wall. Jeopardy every wall night. Wall. Right. You know, and the nightly news, and it was just everywhere you saw. And I think for the first time we saw that win. I, I think that really was a title shift in the way that. Uh, retail politics local politics in alaska you know i I came here from california uh and (laughs) when i started meeting uh elected officials you know here yeah yeah oh yeah and they just oh give me a call later here's my cell phone oh stop by my house i'm you know here's my address that's in california you can go all your life yeah and (laughs) best of luck you'll get added to a mailing (laughs) list somewhere right right? Right. like it it was it was insane when i first got up and this is well before i got into journalism but just as an ordinary citizen right you go go to picnics yeah 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 Yeah, interesting and and 2014 to me was was a monumental title shift in in how you saw money come in um and usurp the the uh Effectiveness. The power of organization, the power of all that, you know, the, the, the years and years it takes to have a person in, in Barrel, yeah. a person in Nome, a exactly. person in Ketchikan, a person in Kodiak, a person in, Ke- in Kenai. It's, I mean, you've got a person in every, or, or network in every freaking community mm-hmm. that you activate at the right time and push up trying to get people to the polls and, and win I, election. And I still talk to volunteers, uh, you know, people who campaigned for Baggage, for Tony Knowles. Um, you know, some of them would say, oh, I remember back in. 98 97 you know i had him over we threw a fundraiser at our house and and it was great and i'll talk to another person saying well i don't support them you know i asked him if he wanted to do a fundraiser at my house and he didn't have time (laughs) that was was the barometer right right Right. (laughs) um and and i i really do feel like dan sullivan changed a lot of that um now we have a race for governor walker has stepped down not stepped down but about out of the race uh i'll respect him his time left in office um and 
uh, now you have, I'm seeing that same dynamic play out with number one, Dunleavy, huge support from a super PAC. You know, we can get into where that money comes from. Came I, from somewhere. It doesn't really matter. Come yeah, from Exxon. Exactly. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Right. It's you know, the uh, way it works. It's there. Right. And it's having a, a, a palpable <clears throat> effect. Um, and so I, I see that dynamic. And I also see uh, very corollary with that, uh, a mythos, you know, kind of uh, mythology of Mark Begich, his record, his times in public office, how he destroyed Anchorage. Uh, how he was a Pelosi Democrat. You I, know, see, I see some of that stuff on Facebook. I guess I'm, I haven't seen it really manifest itself in much more than that. It's a, um, it's deep. <clears throat> it's very deep. Well, it, it goes. It goes. I mean, it's it's a it's a red state, yeah. right? I mean, he's. I mean, I, <clears throat> it's it's hard to tease it all out. Um, certainly, there's been some sort of anti-anchorage bias there, just mm. just starting right there, right? That's I mean, one of the, the questions re- I was going to get to. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and and uh, as an anchorage person who uh, uh, ran statewide twice, you know, the first thing you learn, or the first thing you kind of figure out, is that you know, if you want, you know, if you can't win in Fairbanks, you're done. Mm-hmm. And so I made trips. After trip, after I mean, I could tell you some of the dumb stuff I did trying to get attention in Fairbanks, and the, and the degree to which you throw yourself at those people's feet, you know, <laughs> you know, and you try, you try to make an impression there. It's a hard place to crack. They have a suspicion of Anchorage. They have a suspicion, uh, you know, that you're just there, you know, for a short time, and uh, and so a lot of that is carried over against Mark, and and apparently not so, uh, not so much to Dunleavy. Uh, I mean, that that a lot of the uh, opposition to Mark from Democrats came from Fairbanks. It also came from Juno, which. You know, someone said to me recently. I've never quite heard it put this way. It's a governor's town, right? I mean, if if, sure, if you yeah. right, I mean, if you stop and think about it, how many people work for the governor in Juneau? Right, lots. Yeah, okay, yeah. so are they necessarily opposed to the governor? Mm-hmm. Probably not. So if Mark Bates is trying to horn in on that thing, they're just not going to welcome him with open arms. And I had heard, you know, up until just a couple weeks ago, no signs, no organization, nothing going on down there for Mark. So you know, he was just sort of getting squeezed back into this little anchorage bubble, and there just isn't there aren't enough votes here. I mean, there's lots and lots of votes, but there's just not enough. So as I sit here and think about this race, I think you know a lot of it is in the hands of Bill Walker. Mm-hmm. Is he going to sit at home and kind of just watch what happens? Yeah. Or is he going to get out there and push a little harder because? The opportunity is unbelievable to have a center-left coalition in this state. You know, that's partly what was so attractive four years ago. Mm-hmm. We can actually have power. We don't have to lose every election. We can be a part of the winning team. It's very exciting. And so, you know, I think, in a sense, I thought it was time for Walker to pass it off to somebody this go-around. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I was, you know, an early... Um, um, uh, you know, someone was urging Mark to get into the race because it seemed to me that it, it, you do have to share power mm-hmm. in order to really make it work. If you just hold on to power as long as you can and then someone takes it from you, that's a different dynamic. And so I think the governor, uh, Walker, has an opportunity at this point to sort of walk people through why a center-left coalition is the way forward. And, and yet it's, it brings up a lot of interesting questions. Like, it was, you know, exactly where is the marker? How far over does that go past, you know, the center? Uh, you know, where is the, where's the line? at which you meet up against the Dunleavy people that cannot be influenced whatsoever mm-hmm. by any word that, uh, that Bill Walker might utter. Which kind of explains uh, the campaign strategy uh, for the Dunleavy and Dunleavy supporting groups, whereas they define the line at support of Dunleavy. If you are to the left of full-fledged support of Dunleavy, uh, you hear... 
the, You're a communist. the term communist like thrown out immediately. <laughs> you know, there was a time when I was a kid when you could trust that to be a, to be something bad about somebody. Yeah. But now I'm not so sure. <laughs> it's, I mean, as, as a spectator, as a spectator, it's, it's raising my you know hairlines closely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hang on to it, man. Get lots of photos. Get lots of photos. But uh, I mean, there there is kind of a, a gap in what. The, the logical reality is and and what we're hearing in terms of uh, campaign rhetoric i guess I, I guess i guess it says just another thing that just popped in my head and so i guess my question you know right now i guess for 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 um for bill walker and those underneath him which legislators any republicans you know come with bill to mm-hmm. the baggage side mm-hmm. right i mean the independents i think you know will get you know the jason grins you know and the adam you know not adam will but uh, dan ortiz mm-hmm. uh, folks like that uh but i mean are there i mean gary stevens what does gary stevens now do in this race does he lay low or does he say you know what i think i'm more comfortable you know with a walker baggage approach mm-hmm. uh you know and and, th- and that would that would be a place where you could put the line you know uh fascinating to find out I think that's going to be a tough one, especially in the House, where the coalition itself is so, um, you know, held Tenuous? together by yeah, <laughs> Jenga tower and scotch right. tape right, right. now. Right. Um, so I, Folks listening to this broadcast, <laughs> if you're worried about the governor's race, your ultimate backstop, your ultimate insurance card, right? The thing you hold in your wallet against car crashes and political <laughs> rigging disasters is the House Coalition. Send $50 to the HDCC right now, this minute. <laughs> <laughs> that And that's what we'll get email about. Um, <laughs> um, there, there is, uh, in, in terms of Walker coming out, I won't... Uh, it's almost in you know we had the anti-Trump folks in in the Republican Party, uh, and Walker seems to be an anti-Dunleavy person more than a pro-Bakich person. Uh, right after the AFN speech, um, you know he caught up with news cameras and they asked, "Will you give an endorsement?" He said, "I think you know personally me, I think that I line up with with Begich, uh, and I think that Dunleavy would be disastrous for the state." But the words endorse. Uh, didn't never, quite leap out. Yeah, never made it out of the mouth. It, I mean, it is a process. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is grieving. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, like everybody in power, dreams of, you know, doing the next big thing and having the opportunity to fix the world just the way you want it to see it fixed. And I'm sure he's, you know, he's suffering for the loss of that. Yep. You know, the idea of, you know, my, my gas pipeline, the things I want to do uh, now are sort of dependent on somebody else. So, you know, I, I guess... You know, one hopes that maybe the weaker. I mean, you know, how long does it take to get perspective on things? You know, how long can we sit here and let you grieve? And I don't mean to say it flippantly because I, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough. I mean, I got. I mean, when my little you know world blew up uh, four years ago, I got in a Volkswagen van that was about to blow apart and drove it seven days to Idaho, and I had the window down and I was saying stuff out that window that I would never want to hear again. Mm-hmm. You're just processing a lot of things and a lot of emotions, and you know That's the governor's stretch of road to do it. Oh my goodness, it was it was worthwhile. <laughs> And it was lots of fun. That van's still down there. Um, but, you know, then you come back around and you realize, okay, I mean, this is the way forward. Mm-hmm. And so you contribute. I gave money to, you know, I voted for those guys. I mean, I did what I had to do and what, what I wanted to do to make that ticket become a reality. Because that was, you know, you know, your options are very simple. You know, Alaska, okay, are you happy with Mike Dunleavy? Is that what you want? Or do you want something different? And everybody who wants something different should be enthusiastically back in Mark Baggage, even if he's not perfect. Mm-hmm. He's not perfect. I'm not saying he's perfect. He's cast votes that made me deeply, deeply irritated with him. Mm-hmm. But that's no comparison. That's not the question. The question is, is, do you want, you know, the right-wing guy from the Valley, or do you want an Anchorage mayor who's proved himself? Speaking of kind of going insane and having to take to the road to, to vent your frustration. I mean, you are in a unique position in terms of somebody who 
might come come close to what Walker has gone through. There's been a lot of knee-jerk reaction from the public uh, and and a sense of immediacy in terms of we need to know what Byron Malott said now. Um, you know, can you number one like from your own experience, take us through when when you when you bow out of lieutenant governor, um, you know, in that race, like what, what goes through your head? What's the rationalization process? Like, I mean, you, you, I had about 48 hours where taking one for the team. I mean, you know, the, the the lay of the land was, you know, um, you run as governor, lieutenant governor independently. So even though I expected to win my primary and there was no one really against Byron, we hadn't been formally joined. And there was another uh, person running for lieutenant governor that uh, Byron was respectful to. And so it kind of kept the two of us, Byron and me from becoming a sort of a fully formed unit. I, I knew him from my, service and you know i respected him we'd had some conversation about what we're going to do and so forth and i was very i was very he just turned out to be a terrible campaigner i mean i I hope if byron's listening you know i'd probably say it to his face he just didn't here here's 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 an anecdote the two of us were walking through the anchorage airport and uh i looked around and said you know my instinct is just to run around here and shake everybody's hand he said that's your instinct mine is to hide and and he just he just didn't have that desire to press the flesh. He had great speaker, you know, forward uh, looking person, and so forth. But once we were joined, then suddenly this this third wave began to appear, and it was really being pushed by uh, Vince Beltrami and the AFL CIO to try to make something happen between the two tickets. They were afraid of a three way race. I was not. Um, they were able to sort of invade upon Byron to set his dreams down and join bill i was not a part of those discussions Mm -hmm. it kind of came to me as a fait accompli this Mm -hmm. has been done you know bill and i shook hands yesterday and so i had about 48 hours when uh you know there was a deadline um the same problem you know as this time printing the ballots the ballots are going to get printed after monday unless you have resigned your position as lieutenant governor Mm -hmm. and so basically i had a bomb i could throw and for 48 hours you sort of thought well is is that the right way to go And, and, and and yet n- there was very little pushing me in the direction of bomb throwing mm-hmm. and everything was pushing me in the direction of, you know, this, this is, you know, this is the only sort of way forward, the only realistic way forward. And I guess just as Bill Walker could say, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to ride this thing out and make it happen and doggone it, you know, darn the torpedoes at some level. Once Byron left him, it was over. Mm-hmm. And and yet it's still it's still I mean he's got options. It's, there's no there's no math. There's no law. There's no rule that says it's got to go forward this way. And yet at some level there's really only one answer. Mm-hmm. And so you try to be you know and people are really nice to me and people are gonna I mean people are gonna praise him you know ten times more. He gave up something. I mean I was I had a, a hope of office. He in fact owned it. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a, di- a difference of magnitude between the two sacrifices. Um, so. Um, you know, I, I hope he comes to the same piece I came to, which is, you know, I land, you know, I landed in the arms of my wife and my friends and my Volkswagen van. Everyone know. who can catch and, the fall and, possible. And people were not, I mean, yeah. people really respect that. I mean, a while back I wrote, and even in, you know, you know, sort of writing the bill sort of in my own little diary, like, hey, man, sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he's going to find he has enormous sort of moral authority uh, over the next several election cycles that he didn't have before. And people are going to look to him and say, you know, is Walker back in this guy? Is Walker not back in this guy? You know, is he part of the center-left coalition or has he been sort of pronounced out from the leader of that coalition mm-hmm. or one of the leaders? So, you know, he what he gave up in sort of immediate grip on power He's going to find he really gains in people, strangers, walk up to him and say, hey, man, you did the right thing. 
that is totally awesome, you know. And most politicians don't get praised like that. Yeah. Most politicians, frankly, would just do not meet someone in the grocery store because it's going to be some tirade. There's going to be someone who's really unhappy with you taking their dividend. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say he's cured that. He's going to have a, you know, I don't want to say a century of love, but but he's going to get a, for a long time in history books and in the history of Alaska, he's going to pop up as a moral example, and that is hard to achieve in the in, in the everyday sort of life of a politician. And that's, I mean, the optimism in me, which is, you know, dying, but I still have a little reserve. <laughs> Keep pool, it. You Keep know? <laughs> that flame alive, John Arono. Keep it alive. Um, but I, I have to, I have to believe that history records his legacy. You know, it, it's, it's, it's due. So, I mean, I, I think years from now, right. we'll have to right. come to grips with right. the fact that this right. was a level-headed guy and was exactly what, in his unique position as an independent, he was able to do things, say things. That regardless of whether the Senate or the House or both uh, were willing to follow him down that road, he was able to say and do things that I, I don't think any governor uh, has been able to in the past, at least going back to Jay Hammond, honestly. Right, to, to be sort of that free, in a sense, from the electorate. And, and you know, yeah, you just got to admire it. Uh, you know, you could almost imagine a world in which maybe four years from now and, you know, Governor Begich handing the torch over to somebody else and saying, no, this guy is going to carry or this woman is going to carry the center-left coalition to the next level. And maybe Bill comes back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was sort of jokingly saying, you know, four months ago, maybe he should wait until the gas line's almost closer to fruition, then bring him back and let him be governor when the gas line actually happens. Let him get the win. Yeah, yeah. you know, get the win that he wants so badly. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's you know, um, life is longer, I think, than we uh, think it is, uh, even though I was just at a, a service today for someone. You know, there's lots of opportunity out there. You know, elections come and go. Um, you know, keep keep your chin up. Mm-hmm. One thing that it's, I guess it's a delicate issue for, for a lot of people. Um, when you talk of if Begich wins, he's a governor, and then hopefully he'll pass the baton on to somebody. And there's a lot of stirring I've heard, uh, mostly from independents like myself you know independents nonpartisans, uh people who've, like myself left the democratic party years ago <laughs> um you know more moderate people where they're a little concerned about the state of the democratic party in terms of uh baggage being the only name out there well i mean ethan berkowitz would probably want to raise his hand at this point Absolutely. and say wait yeah. a minute what about me and what I, about I think, me I think he would have an argument there, <laughs> he yes. would uh you know and bill Wilkowski would and les garrow would uh you know it's it's tough because the state really only offers so many sort of levels above it's hard to get statewide recognition well it is yeah. and it's a bru- hey it's a big state folks big state you try it okay <laughs> try try to you know try to you know campaign in ketchikan in sitka in petersburg in wrangell mm-hmm. you know in juno for crying out loud and then start moving your way up to kenai and kodiak and soldatna and, and then you know you got the interior and then you've got you know the, it's 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 very difficult and it takes a while it takes a couple of runs i was uh, raising money for one of i think the first time i ran statewide was in 2010 i got larry carr barney gossin's partner on the phone i said larry you know you've been a good supporter i'm reaching out to you you know i'm running statewide he said well Alice, you know i've been around a long time and i've i just got to tell you something nobody ever wins their first statewide race so i'm gonna take a pass on this one <laughs> and he hung up and i was like damn that's earn, cold man earn your dues. <laughs> he was right yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard and uh you know um four years from now 
you know, who, who knows where we are economically, mm. politically. Um, but I do, I mean, I just think this is a huge opportunity. And Democrats have to be alert to this. We can't just sort of push as far over to the left as we possibly can at this point and say, hey, we've won. First of all, you got to win the election. Okay, that's the first point. Second of all, be mindful mm. of the power of keeping people like Bill Walker and, you know, Cindy and Malcolm Roberts and, you know, uh, Jason Gren in your universe mm. so that you can speak to the middle and not get shunned by them. Because there's, you know, it's just, it's an opportunity of a lifetime if we can keep this going. Yeah. Well, I Peace. Think that's probably good. Sounds like a good place to end. Yeah. 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 Um, Hollis French, thank you so much for sitting down with me. They literally, when, when all this dropped, your Very kind. immediately Very kind. came to my head. Appreciate and, the opportunity to... And of to... course, my wife was like, yes, call him now. <laughs> um, all right. So thanks so much for thanks, being listeners. on the show. Thanks, listeners. Yep. Um, hey... Election day is coming up. Um, if you don't vote, I will throat punch you through this microphone. I swear. <laughs> Get out there. Truth. And uh, you've been listening to the Alaska Commons podcast brought to you by the Anchorage Press. My name is John Arono. Craig Tootin is on vacation this week. He'll be back. Uh, and hey, guess what? We are going to be at Election Central doing a podcast from there. So you should come down there and uh, say hello. All right. Talk to you later.